three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports Park Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, the Cubs and Wilson Contreras have a contract problem. We'll explain in just a moment. Plus, a brand new interview today with Chris Boda, the host of Blackhawks Live on WGN Radio and a WGN TV sports anchor. Talk with him at length about the Blackhawks trades and Bears football and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. When you approach contract negotiations or extensions, the main key is having leverage. You have to have leverage in order to get what you want. That's a life lesson. It doesn't only apply to sports. It applies to any job. I'm not going to go up to my boss and say, hey, my sales went down 10% last year, boss. Can I get a raise? Can I get an extension? Is my job safe? <laughs> Doesn't work that way. We all know that, too. You're going to be at the top of your game in order to even demand or ask for a raise or extension. Your numbers have to be through the roof to ask for something like that, to justify it, and to get what you want. My sales were down 10% and I asked for a raise, I'd be laughed at, probably potentially fired, even. You have to make sure your numbers correspond to what you're asking for. Because if they don't, you're not getting it. Sorry. And the same could be said for Wilson Contreras and the Cubs right now. I'm not saying Wilson Contreras is a bad catcher or means nothing to the Cubs. In fact, he's the only reason I would go to a Cubs game now besides maybe Marcus Stroman if he pitches. They're the last two superstars the Cubs have today. So Wilson Contreras isn't necessarily unfounded in what he wants. If he wants an extension, so be it. He's allowed to ask for one. But I do want to say this. A 259 career batting average, not playing full seasons, Ever in his career, really, always getting hurt, and seeing where the Cubs are as an organization does not justify giving Wilson Contreras an extension. I know a lot of Cubs fans are going to be gasping, why? What do you mean? Well, look at this team, number one. 
Come during the midst of a rebuild. There is no doubt about it. I don't care if they call it a retool. I don't care if they say we're building on the fly. The fact is they just had a fire sale last July, August, which I applauded. It was great to get rid of these old guys. Now you didn't have to pay them anything, and you have a lot of money left on the books, and you're not investing in aging talent that really isn't productive anymore, not as productive as it once was. I hate to say it, but Wilson Contreras is a part of that pool. Last year, 237 average, 21 home runs, 57 RBIs in 128 games. Okay, for a catcher, that's fine. But is that worthy of a five-year, six-year extension for a lot of money, relatively, on a Cubs team that doesn't know their own direction, that doesn't know their own plan? Just talked to David Sampson last week former Marlins president, he said the same thing. What's the plan? Have they stuck to it? No, they have not. So can you justify paying out a guy hitting 237, 100 plus million dollars? No, sorry. Really doesn't make any sense. I know fans want to hear the opposite fans. Oh, please keep them. Please keep Brian Rizzo and Bias. Keep them with me. I need something to watch. World Series team. Calm down. Look, if you want another World Series, don't pay Wilson Contreras. And that's not a knock on him. For everybody comes after me, that's not a knock on him. The situation does not adhere to paying him. Sorry. If you as a Cubs fan want the fastest route to a World Series, do not pay Wilson Contreras. It has nothing to do with talent, per se. It has to do with money. It has to do with the direction of the organization. Does not make sense to pay Wilson Contreras hundred plus million dollars to be a catcher when you have a top prospect coming up. I don't care if he had Tommy John surgery. I'd rather take some time with him, knowing you have other prospects coming up too. This is going to be a new core, a new team, a new contender, a new look. The Cubs did everything right last year, despite what everybody wants to say they did. Sorry. Not going to pay Javier Baez what he got in Detroit. Yeah, we all have to agree that was stupid. And Detroit made a horrible investment. Look at Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo would have been fine to bring back for a budget deal. He didn't want to do it. He picked a budget deal with a different team instead. And Chris Bryant got paid handsomely to hit 270. No thanks. I'm not here defending the Rickets either. They've made some questionable decisions, to say the least, since they took over the count. But what they did last year, as painful as it was for fans, it was smart. Sorry, it was. None of these guys were going to do anything of significance with the Cubs moving forward. Cubs have a lot of prospects. Brennan Davis, and now we see a report, too, about Wilson Contreras, telling a Cubs top prospect, Miguel Amaya, supposed to be this big catcher, coming up, be ready. Wilson Contreras told him, be ready to be the future Cubs catcher. Wilson Contreras knows where this is going. He knows how this will end. The Yankees and Padres both checked in with the Cubs on Wilson Contreras, too, before the lockout. I have a feeling by July, early August, he will be moved. Smartly, too. There's going to be outrage. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be yelling and fist-waving at the Ricketts for doing it, and Jed Hoyer... But the Cubs will get a haul back. They won't have to spend any money on him because I'm not going to pay a 237 hitter 
and on top of it, you have a replacement. You got a great replacement, top prospect waiting just to come up and play and to be your guy. Give him a shot. Wanted to talk about this for a number of weeks, but obviously the Bears were big news. Finally, I get to. Please, think about this rationally, not as a fan. If you're clamoring for the Cubs to make it again to the World Series, trade Wilson Contreras. That's simple. Trade him. He'll get back a hold. You won't have to pay him any money, and you have a replacement waiting in the wings. Contreras told him, be ready. Be ready to replace me. It is not wise to pay Wilson Contreras, a guy who has been hurt a number of times, and it's 237, 240, doesn't matter. You got a younger replacement who's going to play with this new core that's to come. The Cubs have done this right so far, the rebuild, despite what everybody wants to say. They have. They have a lot of top prospects waiting. Let Amaya come up and be the new catcher. Do not pay Wilson Contreras when you don't have to. You don't have to do it. You've got a replacement. If the goal is a World Series, I don't see why paying Wilson Contreras a bloated contract for a long time is going to help. You already made the painful but yet necessary decision to cut ties with Bryant, Baez, and Brizzo. Do it with Contreras, too. This year, trade deadline. Hey, if the Yankees and the Padres already checked in, do it. Please do it. He'll get back a hole. You won't pay him a penny, and you have a replacement. May not be what you want to hear, but the fact is, this is the best move for the Cubs' future. If you want a World Series in the next, I don't know, 10 years or sooner, then these decisions have to be made. Look, in the moment, Bryant, Baez, Rizzo being traded, not popular. But look at where the Cubs stand today, and look at what happened to those guys in free agency. The Cubs did not have to pay a penny for any of them. They got back tons of prospects, and in two years, three years at most, Cubs are going to be good again with a whole new core, a young core that's controllable when it comes to money, and that's successful. They will be successful. May not have been popular, but it worked. Same with this. May not be popular to suggest that Wilson Contreras should be traded, but... In the long run, it is smart to do, especially when his value is high. You know, last year he was hurt and didn't hit well, had a tough season. They couldn't trade him. Waited till the offseason, had some suitors, then the lockout happened, they couldn't trade him again. The Cubs have had two opportunities to already deal Contreras. They haven't been able to due to poor performance, injuries, and the lockout. This is your golden opportunity. If Contreras could start off the season hot, you have a great trade piece with lots of value on the MLB, it would be a smart decision. That's all I'm saying. This is not meant to hate on Wilson Contreras or even hate on the Cubs. In fact, I want them to succeed. And what they have to do is change. They have to change. This model is not going to work. And fortunately, to their credit, to Jen Hoyer's credit and the Ricketts family, they saw it last year and they knew. They had to cut ties with Bryant, Byers, and Rizzo. As tough as it was, they made great decisions. Here's the kicker, too. All their contracts combined ended up being less than what the Cubs offered them. The Cubs offered Javier Baez a $200 million extension, same to Bryant, too. They didn't take it. And now look it up. That's their fault. 
for being too greedy when they sucked and their performances dwindled and they put the Cubs in this position. Again, not here to defend the Ricketts, but let's talk about the real story before we judge, hey, the Ricketts suck and oh, they traded away everybody. They ran this team into the ground. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on. Those guys didn't perform. And Contreras hitting 237 made him non-tradable or less tradable. Then he got hurt. If Wilson Contreras starts off this season hot, if he's hitting 300, playing good defense, and playing every game, more importantly, you better trade him before his value diminishes. Last year, I won't forget this. In May, Chris Bryant was hitting like 400, like 330, 340. He was doing great. Cubs didn't trade him. I said, why? Why didn't you do it? You could have had great value. There were tons of rumors the White Sox were interested. They didn't do it. Then they traded him in July when his performance tailed off. They could have gotten more back had they done it in May. This is like the stock market. Buy low, sell high. Cubs drafted Contreras. He's a prospect. Farmhand. He was grown. They bought low. Sell high. If Wilson Contreras starts this season hitting 300, hitting the ball well, and this team's going nowhere, we already know that now. There's no need to test or see. This team sucks. Trade him. I don't care how many Cubs fans get pissed at this. It's the truth. You have to. You have to. If you were Jed Hoyer, what are you looking for? Are you looking to compete this year with this sort of team and this roster? Or in two or three years with a brand new controllable, when it comes to money, core? That could be productive, even more productive than the original core. I'd rather do that. I'd rather put all my marbles in that basket than sit here and mess around and pay Wilson Contreras six years, $100 million, or whatever it might be, Ridiculous. Not necessary when you have another guy waiting in the wings who's supposed to be even better, potentially, according to scouts. I've said it already, and I'll say it again. If you want the Cubs to win a World Series in the next 5-10 years, you trade Wilson Contreras. Yes, you do. It's not about performance. It's not about, oh, it means so much to me in my heart. It's about the future. If you trade Contreras now when there are suitors, when there's interest, you get a ton of prospects back and you don't pay him. And you have a replacement. Amaya is supposed to be great. This is the way you do it. They did it last year. I didn't see anybody have second thoughts in the end about Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo. Might have hurt in the beginning. Everybody might have hated the Ricketts, but you know what? It worked. It did work. Hey, Cubs have a lot of prospects now. Come two years from today, they're going to be great. It worked. Might have been tough, but it worked. Do the same here. Have a viable replacement. Contreras is often injured, yes. Trade him when his value's high. Don't make the mistake they made last year with Chris Bryant. Waiting till his production dropped, till the trade deadline. Oh, okay, we'll trade him now. Could have gotten 10 times more back if you traded him in May. I know everybody wants Contreras to be a Cub for life because they got rid of everybody else and you're hanging on to the scraps of 2016. Let go. That's the message. Let go of 2016. Because the fact is the Cubs are pretty far from a World Series right now. They're not there yet. Let go of the scraps. 
stop worrying about the 2016 team and, oh, what a great team. Oh, history. Guess what? They're going to be ancient history before the Cubs win again unless they do something. And here's their chance to do it. Don't let them be ancient history. Come on. The Cubs are better than that. I know they're better than that. And that's why even though fans don't like it or don't want to talk about it or are going to come after me for this, it's the right business decision. But let's say they didn't trade everybody last year. The Cubs would be again delayed even further from a World Series. They'd keep those guys around and wait another year. They did the right thing. But I've been painful. They did the right thing. Objectively, you cannot argue with me on that. All of them sucked. Not going to pay Anthony Rizzo big money to hit 250. Not going to pay Chris Bryant big money to hit 20 home runs and hit 270. And I'm surely not going to pay Javier Baez to strike out 200 times a season guaranteed. Guaranteed. Sorry. And I'm not going to pay Wilson Contreras big money to hit 237, be often injured, and when I have a prospect waiting who could be better, even better. This is common sense. And it makes no sense to me. That's why everybody's wondering, when will he be extended? Please extend him. The Cubs, you guys suck. Tom Rickett sucks. John Hoyer, no. No. If you want the Cubs to win a World Series today, you will hope that they trade Wilson Contreras. Making this move will make them closer to a World Series. And that's just a fact. It will. They'll get more prospects back. They won't have to pay him. They'll have a different team in two or three years that's going to be controllable and young and productive. And they'll have a fire to win. Unlike what happened here in Chicago over the past couple of years. They won. They got lazy, complacent. Everybody got fired in the end. Already extended David Ross, which is a horrible move, but that's for another day. I'm fine with the manager, at least, but don't keep around the players who are not going to produce. Bring in somebody. Bring in prospects. Do the rebuild the right way. You know, in the beginning, the Cubs had leeway from fans. I get it now. It's completely gone. The bridge is burned. But, hey, the Cubs didn't care what fans said. They waited. They sucked for three, four years, and they won the World Series. Do it again. Oh, wait. I know some Cubs fans won't because they're on the bandwagon. and They don't want to wait. And they're used to this team winning because they don't remember Cubs history. And I might be 22, but I know Cubs history. I know how long they've sucked for. Only really since 2000, have they made the playoffs regularly? 2003, 07, 08, 15, 16, 17, 20. Before, few and far between. 98, 84, then what? 45? They're not a winning team, historically. I know it's hard for bandwagons to understand that, but that's the truth. If you know your history, you know what this team's all about. So what you've been given over the past five, six years, it's unprecedented. I can't even believe it when I think about it. And I look back at the history books and the records and what they've done. It, it was great. It was great. 
I celebrate it, but now it's time for a change. If you want more of 2015 to 2020, then you have to be willing to wait and accept 2013, 2014 again for a couple of years. That way you can get back to 2015, get back to that production, that winning culture. Everybody forgets. Everybody forgets about this team and what they've been through. And it's just, it's annoying sometimes. I'm sorry. It is, frankly. It's annoying. You should know about your team. If you know, if you're a fan, you should know. A lot of people on this channel, when I talk about Bears, they talk about storied history. And that's great. Cubs fans should be the same way. Real fans know the history of this team. They should be happy with what they've done from 2015 to 2020. And guess what? They could be there in two years if they do things the right way today. They did last year. They did last year a great job. Do it again now. Do not bring back Wilson Contreras. Do not commit that much money and that many years to a guy who gets hurt and hits 237 when you have a replacement. And on top of it, you need youth. You need to be better. You need to rebuild. You're, you are rebuilding. It's a passionate topic for me. It was last summer when I talked about the Cubs trading everybody. So I would hope they do this thing the right way. If they don't, I'm going to come after them. But you know what? At the end of the day, if fans are going to be happy with Contreras sticking around, that's fine. You will see how big of a mistake it'll be in three years. Look at the Jason Hayward contract. Come on. Oh, hey, rallied the troops in 2016. Well, you know what? Ever since the rallying of the troops, look at his numbers. That's probably one of the worst signings of the Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer era, period. That and Edwin Jackson. <laughs> Don't do it again. You know better. You guys are professionals. They know. Don't do it. If you have teams calling you about Wilson Contreras, trade him. You'll get back so much. and You'll look so much better in the future. Don't cave into public sentiment. Don't worry necessarily about butts in seats. Worry about actually winning. If you're committed to winning, if you're committed to another World Series, if you're committed to a real change, do not, and I repeat, do not re-sign or extend Wilson Contreras. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Chris Bonin comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for Glorlin. We are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the host of Blackhawks Live at WGN Radio, a WGN TV sports reporter, and a 35-year sports media veteran. Please welcome Chris Bowden to the program. Chris, great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to be out with you again once again, John. How uh, how you been lately? I've been good. How have you been? I know you, know you were recently in Pittsburgh. How did March Madness coverage go in the grind go, being back on the road? That was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, despite the, uh, shall we say, lack of quality of basketball for the, for the two teams that I was covering. Because, man, it was rough. Uh, Loyola, uh, really unfortunate to see the, the, the way things ended for them, especially Lucas Williamson, since he has been such an integral part of this five-year run that Loyola's had. I mean, he's kind of uh, driven the bus uh, and been there every step of the way. And to have him 
end up with the kind of shooting day that he did and have his college career wrap up in the, in the manner that it did is, is truly unfortunate. But, you know, they, they've certainly met their mark over the course of the last five years, and they have a little work to do, uh, probably working that transfer portal with uh, so many guys leaving and them heading to, you know, what I think is a little bit tougher league next year in the Atlantic 10. And as for Illinois, I mean, we almost saw a double dud on Friday because of the way that they performed, falling into a 20 to six hole, somehow, some way managing to get out of it and, and survive with a victory. But they needed to be a whole lot different from that Friday game when they took on Houston on Sunday. You could, you could just tell when you were watching that Cougars game Friday night against UAB that, they would need to find a completely different level. They're going to have to hit their outside shots like they did not against Chattanooga. And that never came. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the Illini season ends for the second straight year in the second round. Um, I know there was some talk afterwards about uh, what a, you know, quote unquote, difficult year it has been. Perhaps some things that weren't made public, some challenges that they had. But nevertheless, um, for that to be such a, a, senior and veteran laden lineup with their last crack at things. Um, I'm not sure if there's going to be a better chance uh, for them to uh, have the ability or at least have the talent level to go deep in an NCAA tournament for a couple of years. But, you know, then again, it's March madness. You know, uh, we've seen what happened with, you know, Iowa state and Houston themselves. They worked the transfer portal and all of a sudden they're in the sweet 16. So these things can turn around quickly. Just, Disappointed on both levels for the seniors on on both of those teams, Loyola and Illinois, uh, not to go farther than they'd hoped and planned. Which loss shocked you more? Um, probably, I'm not saying I would be shocked by Illinois losing to Houston because for all the hullabaloo about that technical on the slam being a turning point, I, it was a bad call, but... <laughs> Houston, I think, had the ability to control that game whenever they wanted to, with the way Illinois had been playing, with the, with the lack of outside shooting. Um, I would say of, of the three games, I was most surprised by Illinois' win on Friday and how difficult it was. Um, and, uh, you know, to have Loyola have the lid on the basket like they did against Ohio State, uh, that's certainly totally uncharacteristic. But um, yeah, other than that, you know, both teams did a decent job defensively over the course of all three games, but, uh, what they weren't able to do offensively, uh, I think, uh, was the biggest surprise. So if I'm to, it's odd, there were two losses in one win, but if I'm to say <laughs> what surprised me most, it was the one win that Illinois had over Chattanooga. Uh, those things are dangerous. Those three, 14 matchups, uh, we've seen, I'm sure your bracket is, is ripped to shreds. Uh, like everybody else is, but, um, you know, to see uh, Illinois have such a struggle out of the gate for all the talk that they had of, you know, quote unquote, having fun to try and park what happened last year in the second round against Loyola, put it in the rear view mirror and just go full bore and not have a care in the world. Obviously I think that burden from a year ago ended up, which was supposed to be a motivator ended up kind of being a, a mental detriment to them. It was a hurdle that they, couldn't seem to get over, especially when you fall into the kind of early holes that Illinois fell into and they couldn't quite dig themselves out of. Who did that loss reflect on for Illinois, the players or Coach Brad Underwood? I think a little bit of both. You know, again, like I said, there was a narrative afterwards about all the 
challenges and difficulties that they face that may not have necessarily gone public. And I'm assuming they're talking about, you know, Kofi Coburn starting the year in a suspension. Grant, that was only three games. All the problems that Andre Curbelo had staying healthy through the year, whether it was COVID or concussions, um, his game just seemed a little bit more scrambly here in his sophomore year, perhaps in part due to what he went through compared to being the sixth man of the year as a freshman. And he's going to be a pretty important guy moving forward for Brad Underwood if there is any repair in the relationship that needs to be made over him sitting the final, whatever it was, 27, 28 minutes of that game on Sunday, um, which was, in fact, performance-based. So uh, between Kofi and, you know, Curbelo, apparently they went through some pretty serious COVID issues over the holidays when, you know, they and a lot of other college basketball teams couldn't schedule a game. They couldn't even schedule practices, apparently, from from uh, what I understand. But you know what? A lot of college basketball teams also have their share of adversity. You know, whether Trent Frazier was healthy through the whole year, whether he had his own shoulder problem. Apparently, Jacob Grandison, you know, may have had uh, what could be as severe as a torn labrum. And, and he's a yes, he is a key fit. He was a key factor for the Illini. But you look at that Houston team, you know, what isn't said is that their leading score, 18 points a game, a kid named Sasser uh, busted his foot or busted his ankle back in December. Nevertheless, they have found a way to overcome things like that and uh, find a way to get through to the Sweet 16. So, yeah, they're college kids, 18 to 23. Everyone's going to be a little bit different on how they approach and how they handle things. But uh, I think in the end, it's, it's still, no matter what they've been through, when all is said and done, I think it's still a little bit of a disappointment for Illinois. And, you know, perhaps Brad Underwood's coming, you know, entering a very key stretch of his, his tenure there. He's been there five years already. They're the winningest team in the Big Ten, in the Big Ten schedule over the course of the last three years. 44 wins over three years, I believe. But to go two and two in the NCAA tournament and not see the light of the second weekend yet, you know, I think there's going to be a little, he's going to be under the microscope a little bit more here moving forward. Chris Bowden here on Sports Talk Chicago. Chris, what did you make of the Hawks trade yesterday? The Mark Andre Fleury trade. Um, uh, I think when you consider when you you know take a step back and, and look at the big picture, they got him for almost nothing in the off season. and to turn that around and find a trade partner, which apparently was a very difficult thing with his you know uh, movement clauses, and, and to find you know, kind of a dance floor partner to make that deal with in the Minnesota wild. Uh, I think overall Kyle Davidson did a good job on that trade. Grant, it's not an automatic number one. We're all greedy. We'd all like to see that. It's only conditional with, uh, you know, them making the playoffs and Fleury having a hand and then going all the way to the conference finals, which is going to be a challenge. I think we should expect it to be a uh, second round draft pick. Uh, but I know all Hawk fans are probably going to go out and buy their Minnesota wild Jersey now and try and root for <laughs> for Fleury and the Wild to go deep and, and for the Blackhawks to get that first round graphic, which, by the way, they are still without this season. Unless that happens, the deal for Brandon Hagel only nets a couple of future number twos in 2023 and 2024. So in terms of immediacy um, and getting that high first round draft pick, that ain't happening this year unless Fleury and the Wild work their magic. But when all is said and done for Kyle Davidson to get that kind of return and to get that kind of return for Brandon Hagel, that's almost more of a credit to Brandon Hagel for how far he has come and what he has done for his game and how valuable he has made himself. 
to not only the Hawks during his time here, but to other teams around the league to recognize, uh, you know, what a heartbeat guy that he is. Um, I, I think he's a perfect fit for any playoff team. I just would have liked to have seen what he could do if the Blackhawks made the playoffs and what kind of factor he could be. But, you know, to turn himself into a player in which you get, you know, two prospects, one perhaps a little bit more decent than the other, Radish over Kachuk, but then two eventual number ones. The only disappointment in that trade is, is that number one doesn't come here this year to kind of help the, the, the pickle that they're in with the uh, Seth Jones trade back over the summer. Were you at all surprised by who got traded? With the Hawks? Yeah. No, I wasn't surprised. I was more surprised by who didn't get traded because uh, I thought for sure um, Kubalik would be gone. I thought for sure, even more so, that Calvin DeHaan would be gone entering the final year of his contract uh, or going into the final 19 games of his contract with the Blackhawks. He's unrestricted. Kubalik's a restricted free agent. The way Dylan Strom has been coming on lately, I thought maybe not. Maybe he's solidifying himself once again, but it's been a roller coaster with Dylan ever since he came here a few years ago with his play going up and down. And he's on one of those upward trajectories right now. Um, so maybe not so much Strom not being moved, but Kubalik, yes, he has really struggled this season unbelievably. Uh, just can't seem to find a, a right niche within that offense. And He's a guy that they really needed to produce. And uh, then Calvin DeHaan, I, I thought all along, he's kind of the perfect guy for playoff teams looking for second pair defensemen or at least depth defensemen to acquire here. And uh, for him not to be moved is a little surprising, especially since the Hawks aren't going to get anything from him uh, once this season is over, even if it was a, a fifth or a sixth round graphic. Now, I don't know what, what some of the trade proposals may have been for Calvin DeHaan and how, much he was desired by other team. If I was another team in the playoff hunt, he's a guy I'd want to have on my club to help provide depth or, like I said, be a second pair defenseman with all the injuries that tend to pile up over the course of the playoffs. So really surprised about Tahan, maybe less so with Kubalik and definitely less so with Dylan Strom with the way he's been performing lately. Why are the Hawks rebuilding right now, Chris? Uh, I think they really have no choice because – uh, it's been an inconsistent message and approach um, several years running. We've heard uh, one summer that they're going into a total rebuild. And then the following summer, you go out and get flurry. You go out and uh, trade assets for Seth Jones, sign him to nine and a half million dollars a year over eight years. There's just been an inconsistency in their approach. And I think that's hurt them more than anything. If there had been, say, in, in 2017 or 2018, all right, we're going to blow this whole thing up, and which doesn't necessarily mean getting rid, of, getting rid of Kane and Taves and maybe even Duncan Keith at the time. But all right, we're going to blow this thing up. If we're going to get rid of Jalmerson and Panarin and some of these other guys to get some assets in return, you have to stick to that plan. Because when you look at teams like Anaheim, uh, the L.A. Kings, um, they decided to rip it down and build it back up. And now they're starting here to see some of the dividends of that. And I'm probably not going to make the playoffs, but the LA Kings are right in the thick of it. And they have a ton of young players in their pipeline. And if the Blackhawks would just had to just remain consistent with their approach, and I'm, I'm not going to strictly point the finger at Stan Bowman. There may have been other factors where his bosses decided, okay, we're not going to go in this full 
you know, tear down, build up mode because we still need the sellout streak. We still need fans to come in the building. We still need fans not to be disenchanted before all the other off ice stuff has come up over the course of the past year. If they would have just remained consistent with one approach, uh, I think they'd be a lot more farther along here than they are now. So um, it's something that's necessary that has to be done. It's going to be interesting to see what, how Jonathan Taves is, is going to react to that. He's already expressed some thoughts. I know that the athletic in the past week or so Patrick Kane has come out and said, uh, yes, I'm in this for the long haul, but who knows during the summer when he steps back and takes a look at, you know, how deep this rebuild is going to go and how long it might be able to take him to get back to the Stanley cup playoffs or become a contender again. Um, we'll see if he changes his mind on things as both Taves and Kane into the final year of their contracts. It's all good and uh, well to say things now that yeah, you want to be a Blackhawk for life. But uh, once you step back and, and take a look at how deep this rebuild's going to go, perhaps he'll have a, a change of heart. And uh, then Kyle Davidson may have to do some shopping and, and uh, would probably get some pretty good assets for Patrick Kane too. It's not that I'm necessarily rooting for that, but I think it's a fact of life that, okay, once reality sets in here, and you have a chance to see what your team looks like here in these last 19 games after these moves were made and the long haul that's ahead. You know, you look at the five Chicago professional sports teams right now, the five major ones, you got two that are teams to be excited about in the Bulls and White Sox. And you got three that are, you know, I guess to steal a COVID phrase, long haulers with the Blackhawks tearing it down and building it up, the Cubs doing the same and the Bears likely doing the same thing as well. And in my mind, of those three teams, I think the Blackhawks uh, might take the longest to get back uh, to where they are, unless they get some miraculous um, new or some some miraculous progress from some of the guys that they already have in the system that we haven't seen to this point yet. How long do you think it'll take for the Hawks? They're talking five years. Wow. I can, I, I can probably see five years, um, especially with those first round draft picks not coming this year that they that they gained uh, in these trades. And now we're also going to see whatever, you know, whatever scouting department that Kyle Davidson puts in place, you know, whether they're going to be able to do their job. And, um, you know, I, I thought overall Mark Kelly did 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 a. Uh, a good to very good job overall during his time here. And it was a long time here. It was probably time to part ways, especially with, with Kyle wanting to bring his own people in. And, um, you know, I, I also knew some of those draft decisions over the course within the last five years may not have been necessarily marks only that he was, you know, he may have been of one mind to do something, but the collaborative decision to go in another direction and to go for certain types of players, um, you know, was the consensus. So, now it's going to be when, when they talk about assets and building assets and those assets, meaning, you know, as many first, second, third round draft picks as you can garner. Now it's certainly going to be up to uh, how good Kyle Davidson's scouting department is going to be with uh, um, how quickly they can turn things around. You know, it, it could be five years. It could be sooner than that, depending on who they pick. Some of these kids are ready in a year or two. The league is getting younger and younger every year. So sometimes it only takes a year or two for them, whether it's college or a year in the minors or a year in juniors, and boom, they make the jump right away and can make an impact. 
the Blackhawks have to hope that those are some of the some of the guys that they can get their hands on if they want this to be shorter than five years. Chris Bowden here on Sports Talk Chicago. Chris, let's talk Bears now. What was your reaction to their hirings at head coach and GM? Um, I I, I guess a, a little bit. Yeah, I I I I wasn't f- particularly familiar with either guy. I know who they were, but wasn't particular particularly familiar with either guy um, before they brought them in. Um, but I think they're they're going about things the right way. Um, the Matt, from everything I understand, the Matt Eberflus that we see publicly isn't necessarily the same guy that we see behind closed doors. Um, yeah, I was, I was talking to a friend who knows somebody on the Indianapolis Colts uh, who told this friend of mine and then who relayed it to me. Uh, sometimes when the doors are closed, Eberflus is a guy who can get on his guys and tear the paint off the walls when, when need be. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that's interesting, a little bit different approach. I don't necessarily know that Matt Nagy was that type of guy who was more a popularity contest guy. Um, obviously, the first move that Ryan Poles made didn't turn out well at all. I'm sitting there at the Loyola game on Friday in Pittsburgh and all of a sudden the word comes out about Larry Ogunjobi and (laughs) everyone knows it it wasn't a very good look for your first big splash free agent signing all of a sudden to be uh, headed back out the door. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll sign him, re-sign him at a much lower price because of failing the physical, but they've kind of regathered themselves. He has been straightforward with saying that, He's not there for the splash moves in free agency, at least not at this stage. He wants to, you know, build through some, you know, secondary wave of free agency. He has definitely done that so far with, you know, the center and the linebacker Morrow that he's brought in and uh, Byron Pringle, who I thought, you know, to me is the most, is the free agent I'm most excited to see him sign. The other wide receiver, um, uh, St. Brown from, from Green Bay. And then, the guy from the Colts who uh, was uh, outside rusher in his, in his four, three defense actually led the Colts in sacks last season with six among the defensive linemen. So it's going to be a, a slow step-by-step process. As we speak here on Tuesday afternoon, there's still some holes to fill, especially, you know, get another offensive lineman, get another, at least another defensive back in the, in the, in the mold there. Uh, they're not going to be high profile guy, but uh, looking for more value guys that they can plug in and work within Matt Eberflus's system. So long answer to what you said in terms of how I reacted to those hirings. Um, I'm fine with them. So let, let, let's, let's, let's see what they let's see what these guys can do, especially with them coming out flat out and saying, you know, this is going to be a slow step-by-step process. And to me, you know, I mentioned the Blackhawks, perhaps having the longest road back to me, this might be the quickest road back because NFL teams, you know, we've seen can turn things around the course of a year or two. So if this team can end up winning six or seven games this season, perhaps more than that, if we're all surprised under Justin Fields, I think that's a, real, a step in the real right direction as, you know, Poles and Eberflus kind of uh, get their culture ingrained with what they want to do here down the road. How much progress do you expect from Fields this year? Well, we're all hoping a lot. How much I expect? Um, I, I expect some significant steps. Now, we also have to see what, what's around him. What's the quality of the offensive line he's going to be working with, the quality of receivers. You know, we already know he has a mojo with, with Darnell Mooney. What can he establish with the likes, you know, of, of Pringle and, um, and uh, uh, St. Brown? Anybody else they may have to happen to bring in. So 
Um, apparently he's already working down in Miami uh, with the likes of Tyrod Taylor and Colin Kaepernick and having uh, a guy like uh, Luke Getze, who, you know, I, obviously he was down the depth chart for Green Bay with, uh, with, with play calling. But when you hear Aaron Rodgers sing his praises while he was there with them and, um, you know, uh, see how sorry uh, Rodgers was to see him go, um, and not to mention losing his, his other right-hand man and, and uh, losing him to the head coach of the Denver Broncos, um, hopefully we'll, we'll see this kind of progress. How much I expect, I, I do expect, you know, from what we've seen and having that, that kind of second year jump, granted he has to learn a new system. I know the last time we did one of these, we, we talked about Matt Nagy being moved and him having, uh, Fields having to learn a new system, a second system in as many years. Uh, hopefully he can adapt to it quickly. And uh, now that Getsy is in place, I'm sure those two guys have had a, a consistent line of communication with playbook, what he's looking to do and what he wants fields to work on. So hopefully a lot of those steps are being made here in March and April before they start gathering for mini camp and uh, uh, build up some steam, uh, steam toward training camp. What impressed you about fields when you watched him last year? Obviously the athleticism, the arm, uh, those are gifts um, that not everybody has. And now it's just a matter of slowing the game down. And there are certain games where you saw that, you know, in the Pittsburgh game, uh, when he rallied the team back from a deficit in the fourth quarter, we started to see that, you know, and then he started getting banged up a little bit. It was inconsistent because everyone, the, the, the uh, these are the, the 32 best football teams in the entire world with, you know, you would think 32 of the best defensive minds going up against a kid who hasn't seen all these different looks. So that's something that's going to be part of the learning process moving forward here. And obviously a lot was thrown at him um, as much as we all wanted to see Justin Fields be the starter right out of the gate. It wouldn't have been good for him to do that based on the way Matt Nagy approached uh, the starting quarterback situation <laughs> in the offseason and training camp leading up to it. But him to be thrown in the fire second, third week of the season and all of a sudden have these defensive coordinators try to confuse the crap out of them. Uh, I think by and large, uh, I think what we saw was kind of what we should have expected. But man, some of the physical tools um, are something to be excited about. And, you know, hopefully he can marry that with uh, everything he's going to have to learn here uh, in, in what will be a very important year for him working with this offensive coordinator who you would think was going to be with him another couple of years in terms of breaking down defenses and becoming familiar with an offense so that it's second nature and he doesn't have to think about that stuff as he goes to the line of scrimmage. For to come with Chris Bowden in just a moment, stay tuned. Vincent, Sports Talk Chicago. Chris Bowden still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Chris, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, Sports Phone. How integral was that for your career? Oh, it was great. Um, and, and again, for those who, who don't know, before the interweb came along, there was a call-in <laughs> service um, back in the uh, 80s. And this is how people would get their scores. Um there wasn't the, uh, the computers and the phones. You could just pop up and look up a scoreboard uh, like there are these days. 
Um, what we would do is uh, there were three cities, Chicago, New York, and Detroit. And we would call every 10 minutes to press boxes around the country for games that were televised that we could keep our eye on in our respective regions and call press conference, uh, call uh, press boxes around the country, whether it was NHL, NBA, college basketball, and we would call them and bug them every 10 minutes for scores. And then we would go record a one minute report. We would talk as fast as we possibly could to squeeze in as many scores as we possibly could for people to call up and keep track of what was going on in a particular game that they might be interested in. So um, the gambling element helped a little bit too back in the day for those who were so inclined. But uh, so it, it was great amount of camaraderie for those of us who were trying to take that next step professionally to, and I think most of us were radio guys at the time to, you know, hopefully get a gig at one of the major radio stations in Chicago. This was the stepping stone uh, below that that allowed us to go out and cover games. We were allowed to cover games as, as reporters, and we would fill up our, our daytime hours uh, with reports and with sound from the previous game, uh, you know, the night before or whatever. And it would expose us, you know, to, to being out in the field and to mingle with not only athletes, but front office people and fellow reporters and, uh, you know, get a little wet behind the ears and that allow us to do so. And, you know, just uh, to get a sense of, you know, some of the people who, who worked at that place at the old 976-1313, that was the number to call. Um, Jeff Joniak was there. Luke Kanellis was there. Uh, Fred Hubner, who used, uh, recently decided to step down and retire and get out of this business. Uh, he was there at the time. Um, David Schuster, longtime Chicago radio guy. Uh, he was part of the group that uh, that I was in. And uh, just a handful of other. Dave Wills, the play-by-play -play guy of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, he was in, among the group that I was, uh, I was coming up with uh, over at Sports Phone. Brian Wheeler, who spent many, many years as the Portland Trailblazers play-by-play -play guy. Uh, he was a part of that group too. And a number of many others who unfortunately didn't get the same opportunity that I was lucky enough to get here in Chicago, be it radio or TV. Uh, it was a stepping stone that certainly helped me professionally get to the next step. And, uh, but a bunch of other very talented guys uh, that you may not have heard of, they were there grinding it out too. And uh, they still found their niches in the broadcast industry at one way or another. It just may not have been, you know, as noticeable as uh, what I've been, uh, fortunate to have in my career. So that yeah, was a great stepping stone. Uh, but the great thing about that too, we were all friends. We still remain friends to this day. But there was always that little bit of competition because we were all about the same age in college, just out of college, looking for that next gig. Uh, there were only so many gigs that may have been open at a particular amount of time. And, you know, there was always a friendly competition with, within us about uh, who would be the guy among us who would get that gig. So, uh, but it was all friendly. We remained friends and uh, luckily, we were uh, a number of us were blessed to uh, uh, get uh, move on to bigger and better things. Chris, before we finish up today, last question: What's the funniest moment you had hosting Sportsnet Central? Boy, oh boy, funniest! You always give me these tough ones to wrap up here, don't you? Uh, <laughs> I have to. Oh yeah, yeah. I know I'm going to forget something and probably have to. You know, when you tweet the link out later on. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to uh, amend it. Um, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think, and I, and I got a little blowback on this. I guess the one that I, one that I can remember 
is, um, uh, you know, there were a number of, of, of Super Bowl ads. We all know the Super Bowl ads sometimes go a little bit out there. And I happened to be working on Super Bowl Sunday one year. And so we did the best of the ads. And um, there was one for, uh, I guess, a particular male product that um, we made that was, you know, kind of humorous, kind of off the wall. We included that in the wild and wacky Super Bowl ads. And, um, you know, I happened to work with a work with a female anchor at the time. And, uh, you know, we came out of that out of that tape in particular. And uh, I was just asking her, I was playing dumb and asking her, you know, what that particular commercial meant, because I I just didn't quite get it. So I probably made her more uncomfortable than anything. (laughs) I think it was called out a little bit on it too. But, uh, you know, whether that was uh, right or wrong at the time, you know, things were Things, things were a little different than they are right now. So, and, and she took it in good humor and started giggling and couldn't control herself at all. So we were laughing about it at all. And uh, we all know what it was about, but I was just kind of playing dumb and making her uncomfortable. And uh, I was glad she didn't take offense to it or, or she was just able to roll with it. So uh, when all was said and done, it was all good. But I'm sure there's going to be others that I remember now once we once we finish up here as well. Oh yeah, there was that one. And oh yeah, that was that one. So uh, I should call up all my buddies that I worked with over in uh, Sportsnet Central back in the day. Uh, it was always a good time, regardless. Uh, whoever you were working with, it was a great group. And uh, whether it was on the air or during the breaks, we all had a great time with uh, the people that I worked with, both on the air and everyone behind the scenes. It was just uh, fantastic to work with. It was a fun 10 years that I spent there. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to have you on. Best wishes to WGN, and looking forward to the next time we chat, too. Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Great talk there with Chris Bowden. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Chris Bowden himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalman, to Marvel Entertainment. Making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe, and so long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?